Welcome to the More Than More podcast, where we discuss building meaningful, impactful businesses, careers, and lives through real estate. Hey everybody, Dylan here, and this is a special edition of our More Than More podcast. I'm sitting with a special guest today. This is our, let me get this right, our Partner Relationships Coordinator for Orphans of Tessa. Uh, This individual is also a master fundraiser for our Orphans of Tessa initiatives. She happens also to be my wife, uh, Jennifer DeBrain. So welcome. Hello. Thank you. Uh, That's a lot of titles. I I was trying to think of this several (laughs) more. Um, You're also my dietitian. Yes. Mother to your children, trip coordinator, lots of things. You are a lot of things. I'm grateful for all those things. Um, and thanks for joining us. So we're here to talk about our recent, well, really everything Orphans of Tessa, right? Yeah. Lots I, of updates. Yeah. Well, so my, my tee up on this, everyone, uh, is first of all, thanks again to everyone for all your ongoing support for everything we've done now for, what is 12 it now? Years. 12 years. Yep. Uh, but the tee up for this little episode is that we recently got back from our trip in January. I've had a bunch of you ask me how the trip went and what the things, you know, everything that's going on at the care points. And I kept apologizing and saying, you know, I feel like I've done a terrible job of keeping everybody in the loop. And if you go back six, seven years ago, we really constantly were updating everyone. You walked around the walls of the, the organization, were covered in, you know, Orphans of Tessa posters and but uh, the last, what, three or four years, I think I've just toned down some of the communication as we've been figuring out next steps and next plans. And uh, so, yeah, I think we want to do a better job of keeping everybody in the loop because our organization has been a part of this for, like you said, 12 years now. Years, so yeah. we're here for an update to all of you. For anyone that listens along, we appreciate you. And uh, Jen here is really the, the, the master of ceremonies in that she's got all the important information and i'm here to fill in the fill in the gaps in the narrative right let's get started P- prc um so why don't we just start with the trip because i've had a lot of people ask us about that uh do you have any idea how many trips we've actually been on now to visit the care points oh i've calculated it so many times basically you've been once or twice since 2010 so that's probably i think i would say 16 for you and probably 10 for me nine maybe for me yeah. Do you remember the first time we took our kids? I do. We let them each start at age seven. seven. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. One of my favorite videos is Ashton <clears throat> dancing with all the other seven-year-olds. The monkey dance? Yes. <laughs> um, so this trip was a smaller group. We we were there for two weeks as normal. We visited all three care points. Um, just thinking about uh, what made this trip unique. So there was a few things. Yeah, well, one really special thing is we got to bring three of Caden's best friends. So Caden's been experiencing this since he was seven years old, and now he got to invite his three best friends along to experience. And it's fun to watch and experience through new eyes, too. So that made it pretty fun. Uh, three 17-year-old teenage boys plus our 17 plus a 14-year-old. And then we had another family join us as well. But, yeah, those three boys were awesome. Uh, so shout out to Justin, Jack, and uh, Oscar. Oscar. <laughs> um, and so those guys were definitely fun to have along. And, yeah, like you said, when, when new people join us on these trips, it, it's, it's just old hat to us in some ways. And so you forget how shocking the culture is and how shocking all this, you know, just everything that you take in. So Yeah, and the kids and the village pe- members 
love meeting new people, yeah. new sponsors, new faces. So it's exciting for them as well. So the boys did well. I mentioned the other family. Once you update everyone on that. So this was some of our sponsors. Yep. So we have a, a sponsor, sponsor family who've been sponsoring for about eight years. They really wanted to meet their kids. They currently live in Germany, so thought that'd be a great time to join us. So they met up with us, uh, family and two other teenage boys. So they got to meet their two boys that they sponsored in Angangaja. We hooked up with them in Belgium and then traveled together to, to Uganda. Uh, other stuff that happened on this trip, I mean, the, a lot of graduations. Why don't you just explain what that means real quick? Yeah, so we had... 45 kids graduate with there. So we had two ceremonies, Bukadia and Angongaja, and they were huge celebrations. We had the whole community. We had a marching band. We had a videographer. We marched three or four miles through town. and <laughs> 95 degrees. And Okay, so what are we graduating from? So a large majority of the kids who are graduating are in some sort of technical school. So we have tailoring, carpentry, mechanics, and then we had... One, two students graduate from university, one with a four-year bachelor's degree, probably one of the very first people in the entire community, definitely yep. in her entire family. Um, super excited about that. And then another one with, a, I think, like engineering, some sort of computer engineering type d degree as well. So it's pretty exciting. Who were those two again? Um, Esther. Yeah, yeah, Esther Tino, sponsored actually by Danielle Seifert here, one of the agents here in Ankeny. And then another boy, Joshua, in Angongaja, mm -hmm. sponsored by some of our friends here in Ankeny. So those are a big deal, and it's a big deal because the whole community comes around these kids that now are graduating from something that 10 years ago no one could have imagined was a possibility. And at those graduations, they're being awarded, uh, what would you call it, a graduation gift. They're startup tools for yeah. all. So they can, now they can graduate, but they can right away start making money. So and what's what's some examples of the star the startup kits that they received? Yeah, so the mechanics received all the tools that they would need for mechanics and they said that they will be the only ones in their village with that nice of tools. So they'll right away right away be the number one mechanics in the entire village because nobody else was able to afford those um, materials. Yeah, we actually went and visited a young guy that graduated a while back and then now has his own mechanics store station that he and when we say mechanics, these guys are fixing the kind of small motorcycles that fly around town that are really taxis. You'll have three or four people on one little motorcycle. We call them boda bodas. But yeah. uh, so they're fixing that. They're fixing cars, fixing everything. So mechanics, what else were examples of startup kits? So we have tailor, lots of girls who graduated with tailoring. Mm -hmm. um, they get a sewing machine, material, scissors, all the stuff. And then we also, the cool another cool thing is we help them pay for their first three months of rent wherever they start. Because they just have no way to get started in this business. So they get this hand up to be able to start working right away and making money. Awesome. So yeah, those graduations are a huge deal because the community is coming to celebrate both their progress, but also that these kids now are, it's like a coming of age sort of thing because they're, they're graduating from the care points and they're graduating now as young adults into the big world of having to go figure out how to make a, an income now. So it's a big deal. Yeah. And I got follow up from the staff yesterday, actually saying that the entire community was so encouraged and just so excited about the opportunity that now that the younger students coming up also have, knowing that there is this possibility for a bright future. Because this is not the first round of graduations, but this is a new thing. I mean, we've been at this 12 years, but for 12 years we've been focusing on school and, and food and medical care and discipleship. And now what we've got is these kids graduating and, 
everyone is starting to see the bigger vision. Yeah. Uh, super cool. The other thing was the swimming. Oh, so why don't you tell that, that story? So, fun. so these students live in rural villages. They have never, never been to a swimming pool. And some so of them have never been to town, never been to town, definitely never been to a hotel. So we brought, we had all of our sponsors donate a few dollars. We rented a big, huge bus and brought them all into our hotel where there's a swimming pool and the kids got to spend the whole day. They got to eat breakfast. They got to swim. They got three sodas, probably never maybe had one soda ever, you know, like in the last year and they got three sodas and lunch. And they said this will definitely be a day they'll always remember. Well, so that most of them have never seen a swimming pool. Correct. And many had never been on a bus. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, huge deal. There was some freaked out kids, to be honest. I think I was freaked out half the time about just making sure no one was going <laughs> to drown. And the girls, it's a very, very <laughs> modest culture. So the girls, like, put their swimsuits on, took their towels off, sprinted to the water, jumped in, didn't want anyone to see them. Yeah, it was super cool. This all started where we took two of our boys that we sponsored from the beginning that we have a special affinity to. And we had snuck them out one time and <laughs> yeah. taken them to this pool that is it's like the only pool in the entire region that exists. And we brought them to the pool and, and the joy, like the, just the shock, first of all, but then the absolute, I mean, they're not young boys. They were like 18, 19. Yeah. But a, lo you, a lot of these kids haven't got to be kids. Even our boys said that was like the high, one of their highlights of their life was seeing these kids for the first time in that swimming pool. <laughs> Yeah, that was pandemonium. Remember them like <laughs> making those snakes and everything? Yes, and like I was in the middle of them most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the swimming was cool. And I, I don't know what other big highlights there were. I mean, obviously, you and I were working a lot while we were there, just catching up on everything that's going on at all the care points, meeting with the staff. And I know we did do the game park at the end. We always, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, we try wrap up after three grueling days at each site. So three at each location. We normally try head west to the other side of Uganda and do a little bit of a game drive just so that everyone that joins us can have a true African experience. So Yeah, that's always super fun. We got to see some lions, some baby lions even this time. What else that's did we see? Fun. We saw elephants, oh. we saw hippos, we, we saw, saw a leopard, the whole deal. didn't we? Yeah. We did. So first African experience for a bunch of teenage kids. And did I miss anything on this trip? What else made this trip unique? Oh, it was my birthday. Oh, yes. I got to celebrate my birthday. This is the second time I've gotten to celebrate my birthday. And so I get to celebrate in Angongaja this time. And so they had a birthday cake and all all my family and even all these extra teenage boys got up and they got to share all the things that they appreciate about me. I'm like, oh, wait, why did I want to do this? I don't like being the center of attention. <laughs> but I really wanted everyone to have cake and celebrate. So it was fun. Uh, Mama Jen is what they affectionately call you. So, uh, Yeah. Okay. So am I missing anything on the trip? I'm just trying to think what people would want to know about these trips. I mean, maybe we should just spend a minute describing kind of just the logistics of these trips because it's something we haven't done a great job of advertising. So yeah. we're going now once a year in January, typically. We have three villages, and we usually spend three days in each village. So first off, we're going to fly through Europe. We're flying down, so it's really a full day and a half of travel. It's grueling. It sucks. No one should ever want to do this. Um when we're arriving, we're spending the first night at a little hotel in right on what's the lake? Lake, lake Victoria. Lake Victoria. You get to wake up and see monkeys right away and watch the sunrise. So it's yeah. a great start to the trip. But immediately after that, we're driving north a good six hours towards Bukadea is normally our first stop. Three days there, and then we move on to Sorodi, and then we spend three days in Ogongaja, which is a good 
hour and a half, two hour drive. Those are big days. Yeah, it's just treacherous travel to get there. And then three days typically in Ogloy. Um, What are we doing when we're there? We're building relationships. So There really isn't a lot of format. You and I spend a lot of time with meetings. So whoever comes on our trips, like, do what you love to do. You want to run around and sing and dance. You want to play soccer, teach taekwondo. We had a kid teach taekwondo. I taught them yoga. We, they would love like business. Dylan yeah. loves to sit around and talk about, teach people business strategies. And yeah, so much of what we're doing is not, we always say the work that's being done there is being done when we're not there. Uh, the staff, our local uh, Ugandan employees, well-trained, well-overseen, and uh, the work's going on all throughout the year. When we're coming, we're interrupting the work mm-hmm. to spend time with these people that we've grown to love who think about and pray for and are blown away by all these sponsors that have stepped in from far away to make a difference in their lives. And so we spend a lot of time answering questions. Do you know my sponsor? What can you tell me about my sponsor? Please tell my sponsor to come visit me. So all sponsors out there, please visit your children. They want to see you. They want to see your face. Yeah, it's hard. I know. Uh, and we and we tell them like most sponsors will never be able to make this journey. Uh, papero. Uh, or papero. Uh, the word for sponsor really is the word friend. So when they say, like, do you know my sponsor? The translation is, do you know my friend, my special friend? Uh, so, yeah, um, good. Uh, I think we do have upcoming trips. Let's maybe regroup on that. But let's move on yeah. to updates about the care point specifically. So I know a lot of people are sponsoring a kid in a particular location. I don't want to rerun through the whole history, but we did start in Ogoloy. Yeah. It was maybe eight, nine months later that we launched in Bukadea. And Ongogaj's, we call it the last born. It's the youngest of the three in the sense that it only started, what? Uh, 14, 2014. So about eight, nine years ago. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know, it's still our, been a long time. Our last born's not a kid anymore. <laughs> nope. So why don't we just do one at a time? Uh, well, let's just start overall. What, what is our current status sponsorship levels? Uh, how many kids are unsponsored? Maybe just a general overview of where we sit right now as Orphans of Tessa with the three care points. Yep. We currently have 498 children because is, many have been graduating. That's we down were quite at a some bit. point been at 600. Yeah. So 498. And we have 45, 40, 30, 45-ish children who are unsponsored. So we What have, does that mean? So these children are in our program. They're still getting to participate, but they have no special friend who's writing to them, who's providing for them, who's their special. So to sponsor a child, is that what you mean? What, how to sponsor a child? No, no, I think you answered the question exactly how I I meant. I mean, I think that people don't understand that point of clarification. All of our kids unsponsored or sponsored are in the program and being cared for. Uh, The issue is that if they're not sponsored, number one, they don't have a relationship and they're constantly asking, you know, where's my sponsor? Who's my sponsor? Because they really want that relationship. But secondly, we just don't have that additional funding. Yeah. And so our capacity to care for the entire care point holistically is diminished by, well, or increased by the number of sponsors we have. Yeah, we need full sponsorship and able to provide in order to provide them with well, all we, the things that we have. We really need have. more than that. Yeah, we definitely need more than <laughs> Which that. Which is why we point. do additional fundraising. But uh, so we have how many did you say? 40? 45 children who need a sponsor right now. 
uh, very good. And anything more on sponsorship, like we haven't been pushing sponsorship for a while because we've been intentionally not adding kids. Yeah, we actually We're, just recently had three children who were added just because of like really extenuating circumstances. So if anyone's ever wanted a small, young, cute child, there's actually three available right now. <laughs> that's funny that you say that. Yeah, so we say that because generally speaking, people want to sponsor young, cute kids and where we're at is the reality is these 40 kids that are unsponsored, we're not adding little kids very much anymore. These are kids that have been in the program for some time. Maybe their sponsor moved on and doesn't sponsor anymore or. Yeah, that's um, mostly because we've been 100% sponsored before. So it's just like slowly sponsors have things happen in their lives and they stop sponsoring. Yeah. So we absolutely would love anyone that would like to, to jump on board. Uh, sponsoring a kid means. So it's $45 a month. That provides them with um, food, school fees, medical care, and then just the weekly discipleship and skills training. It's almost interesting to say it that way anymore because it used to mean that. T today it means funding for whatever program we're having these kids go through. So whether it's tailoring or, I mean, because it also means their graduation gift. It also means whatever it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, but that $45 doesn't cover graduation gift. We need that on top. Of we that. have additional fundraising for that. Yeah. But you know, when we were in the early phases of this, it was really all about going to primary or secondary school and having meals so that you could be aware and awake. Well, it goes along with our, our three tiered survive thrive succeed so in the beginning like food and medical care was the most important yep. and now we're okay they're eating mostly for the most part they're healthy and now we're really focusing on education and yep. those fees have gone way up say it again so if survive is about um food and shelter and basic needs survive thrive is about i would say thrive is just like getting them to school figuring out which direction they're heading skills development, capabilities. Succeed is the idea of gra graduating, developing capabilities to actually be a contributing factor in, in the growth of the community. And I mean, a lot of these kids are now coming back and doing work at the care points to help the entire village move forward. Yeah, like just this year, we had 45 kids graduate. That means 45 kids who've been in our program for 12 years are now fully functioning, providing for themselves adults who no longer need help. Well, they're providing for themselves and for their families. These were orphaned kids that were a burden on the community. We lifted the burden at first. Now they're actually contributing to the community and helping pay for their brothers and sisters' school fees. Yeah, now we even have like these graduated students coming back and helping the entire care point kids yeah. like, Hey, how can we provide for them? Like let's provide them with sanitary pads or whatever it can be. So it's pretty cool to see them coming back, helping the students who are still, who they know the struggles they have. Like let's help these guys rise up to where we are. Okay. So if, if I want to sponsor, where do I go? Uh, we'll have to share a link cause it's not an easy link. I can't really like, say it. It's not orphans of Tessa.com. No, each care point has its own. It's like, Got it. So, uh, let's just add that to the show notes. Okay. That'll be easy. Uh, so let's just talk through Bukadea, Ogloy, and Ogongaja. So the way we think about this inside of our walls as a company is working, not working. So maybe use that framework. But let's just start with a bunch of things that are working or that we're focusing on at each of the care points. Let's start with Bukadea. Okay. So Bukadea, we have multiple, we call them income generating projects. So they're trying, we're trying to help them come up with some of their own funds to start providing for some extra needs of students. And so we have, they have a, a catering, like a bakery and catering business that they've started where they, people can order cakes and cookies and bread. 
We have aluminum pots. So they're making pots and selling them. They're trying to find out strategies to go into different markets and sell them. And actually, one of my favorite is a sweater making project where they've gone into the local schools and the schools are now hiring them to make all 150 sweaters. These are school uniforms that have uniform sweaters. They all have to have one and someone has to supply them. And our care points are now working to be the providers for all Yeah, they're like sweater making tools. So they actually like knit or whatever, knit their own sweaters and make the sweaters. That's pretty, I love that project. What's beautiful about that is it's not a charity based revenue generator. It's, it's a market based revenue, I can't say it, revenue (laughs) generator. Uh, someone has to make those sweaters no matter what Yeah. for the care points to do that and create margin to fund other initiatives. is just a beautiful picture of what we believe in. So I think we have a lot of room to grow in all of those projects, but they're making strides to make progress. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, the, the bakery thing and the pots isn't making a bunch of money yet, but it's working to find a real market base the sweater thing has lots of capacity for growth. There's a soap making as well, where they're actually manufacturing, yeah. branding, and distributing soap from the care points. Yeah. That's also a, maybe just in an infant phase of trying to generate enough revenue to be, it's, it's more than self-sustainable, but it's not making much margin. Right, because currently they're like, okay, when the kids come back from school holidays, they'll do this. We're like, there's so many people sitting around, especially parents and other people in the community. Yeah. Let's hire, Let's train up people in the community to do these things. And part of the process is training not just on the technical skills but mobilizing the community to to gain some level of uh, self-motivation to get the big picture oh i need to give my time to this even though i don't get to make the money the community makes the money the care point does the care point has more capability which helps us all yeah so you mentioned that what else is going on in bookadea that's good well we have some new a new staff so i think we're excited about this new staff it's a big deal um why we had well we had all male staff so i think that was a little bit of a problem with our our girl students they really wanted a female to be in there who's nurturing so i think they're super excited about that Uh, and we just need to rebuild the community connection that's maybe kind of along with what's not working we have kind of lost the community staff connection so we're on the way to rebuilding that yeah, a thriving care point is is about all these programs, but it's also about the trust and the relationship between the community and the staff and us as sponsors. And I think the the reason that's so important is the goal here isn't just um, giving people things. It's partnering to create a context for people to figure out how to build sustainable solutions within their mm. – if they don't own the solutions – then it's not going to be sustainable long term. So the the connection and the the trust and the relationship between the staff on the ground and the community is essential. Yeah. So the new staff is making progress on that. And we were happy to see that. Yeah. Oh, one thing I too, you know, you talked about creating new things within their community that works for them. We some of our community members went to an agriculture training and they learned about uh, raising fish. So we have some really cool new fish ponds in the community that they like literally hand dug with shovels and massive pits. I yeah. mean, I'm trying to think how big they are. They're like pickleball court size pits just dug into the ground. And then it's like a thousand catfish or something, right? Oh, I think it's much more than thousands. There, yeah. there was a lot of fish in there. <laughs> um, nasty, nasty brown water so that the sun doesn't, so that the, the birds, birds yeah. can't see the fish. Uh, so it's, it's been well thought through. There was a lot of training. But yeah, the community is now innovating into these revenue generating opportunities that are co-funded or co, 
I guess, supported by the care points. Yeah. Um, trying to think what oh, the welding thing. I always like to mention just because these graduates, uh, the way I explain this in the walls is if you want a, a fence or a gate or a, anything metal in Bucadea, basically you've got to get it from one of our students yeah. who now own the welding is welding what the industry is called. Yeah. They, they own the welding industry in Bucadea, which is this major trade hub for all the surrounding communities in this rural location. So yeah, our kids have graduated. We gave them startup uh, funds and tools, and now they're running successful little businesses at the town market where, uh, where they're generating revenue and supporting the community. So it's just beautiful to see. I even talked to a few other graduates who now they're partnering. So we had a a plumber and a carpenter and a welder. And so they go together to all these building sites and offer their services Love to it. the builder. Yeah. So they're, they're spreading their services. I think what people maybe need to understand and even for us to be reminded of <laughs> 20, the data early on, remember this 25% of Ugandan children nationwide had uh, statistically made it to secondary school. Secondary school would basically be, what would it be, like junior high? Yeah. 75% never made it any further than primary school. But as an orphaned child, meaning orphaned or vulnerable, so if you either lost a mom or a dad, in their culture, you're massively disadvantaged because typically you either don't have a revenue source or you've got to move back to a different tribe, like uh, yeah. land. Um, but if you're an orphan child, the statistical odds were like single digits. There's just no such thing as being an orphan and making it to secondary school. So when we talk about these kids graduating from either a trade school or from secondary school or even from university, some of them at this point, this is an unheard of phenomenon. So you can understand why the community is rallying behind this and getting excited as they see this momentum and progress. Yeah. Um, okay, anything else on Bucadea? we can move on there's work to be done we're working on the the relationships with the community there and uh the revenue generation projects are starting to gain steam graduations are a big deal there yeah okay so ogaloy which is next on our list in terms of how we travel we move <laughs> up to sorority we now go to ogaloy which is our firstborn yeah what's working and not working in ogaloy well, Ogoloy, we have amazing staff. He's been around for a long time, so he's built relationships with the entire community, and they have a great trusting relationship. So should we give a shout-out to Emma? Yep. Emma, great job. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a guy. Emma was also traveling with us for the entire trip. So. Yeah, he got to go with us to each village, and he's like, wait till you get to my village, because my <laughs> village is rocking. <laughs> okay, so, yep, our team is amazing in Ogoloy. What so else? So, Ogoloy, we have 127 children. Um, maybe around five that are unsponsored. And let's see, Ogoloy, we have a lot that's really working well. This Because this community is working well together and they've been working well together for so long, they have the most VSLAs. We haven't talked about VSLAs yet. Um, very quickly, Village Savings and Loans Association. It is, I think I want to get into that at the end because okay. it's really yeah. a big area of focus. But this is just microfinancing, microloans, <laughs> These are individuals forming little associations with some guidance and mentorship. So we're providing training on this, but forming little savings and loan associations where they put their money in a pot and then grant loans to each other with interest. So their pot keeps growing 
and they basically create the capacity for funding within their communities to go and open little businesses or invest strategically in things that can help their family move forward. So we've had 38 businesses started, which is pretty incredible. In Ogoloi, from Ogoloi. our VSLAs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a... Uh, greenhouse that they built all on their own with their own funding a, a beautiful greenhouse and then i think we helped them put in a, a this is solar on, on the care point site yeah. we have a solar water tower which is nobody else has in the community either so they have pumped running water it's probably the only running water in what 20 miles yeah so we're, we're what's the greenhouse being used for we are growing mostly Green peppers, green peppers and tomatoes, but they found that green peppers has the highest demand, so they're growing mostly for consumption green peppers. or for sale. Mostly for sale. Where are we selling them? I believe in Sarodi. Market. They're, they? they're okay. being sold in the market in the big that big one that we oh, went to. Oh wow! They're being okay. sold there in the marketplace. Nice. So again, a, a market-driven need that our care points are providing for for profit, bringing revenue back into the care point to scale it further. So. The greenhouse is a big deal. We have a well not far from the greenhouse, and what we've added is a solar-powered pump to basically create irrigation. Because we're talking about areas where there's the, we have four seasons here. They have two, the dry and the wet. It's just that simple. It's always hot. But in the wet season, they can cultivate stuff. In the dry season, it's just nothing. So when you can all of a sudden uh, grow crops year-round, all of a sudden the capacity for like massive margin in the dry season is a huge deal because we can be growing crops and selling crops when there aren't any available. <coughs> so the greenhouse, the VSLAs, um, why, don't you, why don't you talk briefly about the whole uh, piggeries but also the, the maggot thing. Yeah, People so will be fascinated by the maggots. We've started piggeries, so we have a a small piggery within the care point grounds where they're starting to raise pigs. But then we've also given pigs to, I think I have how many people here? Um, 60. We've given out 60 pigs, and those 60 pigs have become now 243 pigs. So 243 families are now benefiting from these pigs. The pigs are happy because they're obviously making more pigs. Yes. <laughs> uh, the pigs are being used for what? <clears throat> I think they just sell them for meat, right? Yeah, this is where people get confused on pigs and sheep and goats because we've given out a lot of goats, a lot of sheep, a lot of pigs. And I think everyone thinks, well, we're giving people a goat. Well, but then is it for milk? And the answer is right. no. And, and so they're not getting these things to milk them or eat them. They're, think of a pig or a goat or a sheep as a savings account. That's true. Yeah, they're selling them well, for they're, money. Well, they're, they're first they're multiplying. Yeah. And as they multiply, then they're selling those. And so it's like an interest-bearing savings account yeah. that you just have to make sure you feed. Now, pigs are expensive to feed. Goats are cheap to feed. But the idea here is you're talking about a culture that doesn't have access to a lot of things. And so having a goat means something, but having a cow means a lot because you can use the cow for a whole bunch of things. But a cow is really like 10 goats. So if you can get your goats to multiply, then you can buy, trade them for a cow and you can use the cow to till soil. Or you can get bulls, you can get... Well, so if your cow has babies, then it's equivalent having 10 goats. It's a big <laughs> deal. And so it's it confuses people, but what we're doing here is creating a multiplication effect where as we gift animals to the community they're agreeing in turn that when babies are born, they're gifting those back to the care point contractually that then get turned around to be given to new recipients. And it's a way to just manifest growth and expansion 
an opportunity within a otherwise kind of strangled community. And it's really starting to have an effect. It is. And one struggle that you said is that the unfortunate thing is that it's really expensive to feed these cows or yeah, the, the pigs. pigs specifically. Yeah. So someone within our community who, who actually just finished college, he is now creating a project where he's growing maggots because maggots apparently are great protein source and you can make maggots, right? Like all you need is a fly and some food scraps. So they're creating this amazing, what recycling, they go get food scraps from local hotels. Now they're growing maggots and they're planning on feeding the entire like, pig operation in eastern uganda with it yeah let me let me pull that apart a little bit so they're because we saw the beginnings <laughs> of this the project hasn't launched yet they're building the infrastructure they for have it. maggots currently they, they will do? harvest them in may it's in two months already they've yep. made that much progress so that, yeah they're growing flies the flies are birthing maggots the maggots are eating all this like leftover garbage food that is being put in these like trays and then they're uh, taking the maggots, drying them out in the sun, and then adding uh, some ad additives, some, uh, is it oats or something like that? Yeah, I don't remember. And they're combining this to create pig feed. It's pig and chicken feed, basically. Yeah, high protein. Yeah, at the same time, there's uh, business people building large piggeries that we're now contracting with to be the basically the, the food, the, the protein source provider for the feeding of these massive commercial piggeries that are growing up. And so it's, again, I just keep getting excited about this because it's a market-based opportunity. This isn't about charity. It's about helping grease the wheels to, to build an opportunity for organic revenue. And they're not getting anything from anyone for free. They're creating value in the marketplace. And that revenue is coming back in to further additional opportunity for growth so it's just a beautiful picture yeah. um, what, what did we miss maggots greenhouse piggery vsla's well um, the next up in ogoloy they're starting a citrus orchard that we just raised money for this christmas and kind of the same thing meeting a market need there's a huge citrus plant like juice factory in the town next door but nobody they're getting oranges from like hundreds of miles away yeah. so we're meeting a market need remind me do we buy land for that or are they yes, using the they land behind the care point now? We raise money for it. The money will be sent next month, and then they'll start the project next Where month. Where is the land being acquired in Ogoloy? It's right by the maggot section. Okay, behind. But, yeah. Okay, so more. Yeah. We're becoming big landowners there. Yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, the beauty is that the, the care points own this land, but the, the goal is, and we'll talk about this in a minute if we get there, is yeah, we're really gifting these over to the community as we work our way out of the care points. Okay, very good. Ogongaja, final one for anyone that has kids in Ogongaja, working, not working. We have a tailoring school in Ogongaja that's doing really well. Yep. We just graduated a bunch of students from there, but apparently they all went and sat for some like national exams and all our students from our tailoring school in Ogongaja were the number one in the entire region. So it shows that we have a really good tailoring school. Yeah, we've got a good instructor there. Every time we go, we end up coming home with uh, <laughs> yeah, we've Af got African clothing. Got a whole tote full of African dresses. Uh and so what else is going on there? Okay, there we also, so agriculture is huge for them, agriculture and livestock, because they're so far away from any real markets or cities. Ogongaja is the most rural by far. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so we have a bunch of goats that we've been giving out to some farmer groups, and those are starting to multiply. Yep. And um, in addition, they grow rice there. So they actually are 
one of their biggest problems, their challenge, they said, is they don't have a big enough storeroom to store all the rice that they've grown. So I feel like that's a good problem. Yeah, we, we saw their supplies, and it's pretty exciting. And the goal, the game here, again, is to grow it when everyone can grow it, but not need to sell it when everybody sells it. So if you can be selling this and storing it and selling it in the dry season, uh, the prices are double or triple. And so that's how we can help them run an effective business. Yeah. Um, the aviary thing. So we raised apiary. money. Sorry, apiary. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, <laughs> that'd be fun too, though. Yeah. So we are now beekeepers. Yep. And, and we're having our first harvest next month as well. So we'll see how we do with that. So we got two locations. One was a community-led uh, testing ground for this. And they've started with these ho hollowed out tree stumps and created little hive locations and then attracted queens. And basically they harvest the honey and try to keep the bees alive. And um, But now that's working relatively well. So we've actually acquired land right next to the care point and the care point's gonna have a, a second version of this. But yeah, yeah. we're basically gonna be uh, honey providers to the local marketplaces in the region. Yep, and we've gotten to eat the honey. It tastes delicious. Apparently, the honey in Ongonga does better because we have they're in shea nut trees, so like mm. if you, the lotion shea nut butter lotion kind of thing. How does that help the honey? It's the flowers make the honey better. Interesting. Yeah, the things I don't know about honey. I know. Or aviaries. <laughs> <laughs> um, one problem in Ongonga is water. water. That's our problem. Like bee, it's the bees need water. The people need water. Everyone needs water. And we've dug, what, three, four wells there? Nothing. They just can't find water. I don't think I don't think we can. Uh, it was kind of shocking, actually, for me. We were at the apiary, <laughs> and they were saying, yeah, we got a problem with water. And I was like, well, but just take one of the jugs that you've got, jerry cans, and just put water in this little cup that you've got there. And I had to stop and think for a second. I'm like... They're walking a mile and a half to get water just for their basic needs mm -hmm. in these jerry cans. And so every cup they give to the bees is something that increases their need to walk a mile and a half to go. It's, I just don't think people can get their heads wrapped around. There's no running water. And in a several mile radius, there's one or two available uh, hand pumps to go get water in jerry cans. So for showering, for uh, meals Cooking, for everything. everything and so it's just a it's just a huge huge problem in this region we we still we, we're, we're harvesting water off of the so when it rains we harvest the, the water off the rooftops into large large tanks that sit at the care point but there's literally no rain for six months of the year yeah, and when works. it rains, it's floods. <laughs> <laughs> so Orgonji is just a very very challenging environment so we need water. The sheeps and goats are working. Excited about the apiary. They've got lots of land there. It's it's basically the inverse of Bukadea. Bukadea struggles with land because it's expensive near a marketplace. Yeah. Ogongaja's got nothing but land, but no water. What they would really like is a tractor or some oxen for plowing. That, if anyone wants to buy a tractor, we make a really great business out of plowing. <laughs> Someone's going to say, I've got a used tractor. Yeah, let's get it across <laughs> to Uganda. Yeah, uh, if anybody has a John Deere hookup and they want to provide a tractor that's manufactured in South Africa, probably <laughs> is the only way this is going to work. Um, okay, very good. So our three care points, you know, it's interesting. There's always three steps forward, two steps back. Every time we go, different care points have made different progress or sometimes have new struggles. Yeah. And But it's like everything, right? It's... um. 
it's a game of inches and we just keep moving them forward. But where we are today is such a fundamentally different place than 12 years ago. Yeah. I mean, even just hanging out with the kids there, like the trips, we're just hanging out with friends, right? A lot of these kids are 20 to 25 and nobody's running around playing duck, duck, goose anymore. Like we're just sitting under the tree chatting about business. Life. Yeah. Business. They love hearing from you about books and concepts. Well, and I was challenged by that because I shared a few concepts with some of the older boys. We sat under the tree for a couple hours and we talked about LRC, leadership, relationship, creativity. And we talked about um, all opportunity lies on the other side of value creation, and just the principles that we teach here. And they ate it up. I mean, they were just, it was like more, 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 more. And I actually felt stupid that I haven't been more intentional about training some of this stuff before. Uh, so I think that's an objective for me moving forward. Yeah, that's great. I mean, when I even ran into one boy, I'm like, so how's your day going? He's like, Uncle Dylan just told me all these things. And he was just so excited. <laughs> yeah, those are fun conversations. Say, so I'll work on my curriculum for next year. Okay, so that is hopefully helpful for anyone that is interested in the care points. I think let's shift real quick just because uh, we've been going 40 minutes already. <laughs> um, let's just talk about sort of next steps, like where we're headed now, because I think in our previous podcast, we talked about the idea that these were meant to be 10-year commitments. Yep. We're at year 12. Yep. And the idea, it's, it's an imperfect idea, and it's never... It's never going to work out like a, a textbook, right? But the idea was always sustainability. And so where we're at now is we are, I don't know how to say this, but we pushed the button. And we are now on a, a systematized phase-out schedule where every year we're trying to step out of our funding more. So we're not adding more kids. And increasingly have the communities bear the burden of the revenue generating and even even oversight, right? Yeah. So we're the first year into this five-year phase-out program. And just to be clear, we're, we're, we're initiating this five-year timeline in a way with Ogaloy and with Bocadea. Yeah. We're not quite there with the Gongaji yet. They're probably four or five years behind. And we're the very first care points to try this. So we get to be the guinea pigs to see how it works, if it works, what needs to which does not mean abandoning these locations. It does mean that we're shifting out of a focus on school fees and, and onto a focus on revenue generation with the final objective being, quote unquote, handing the keys to the community. So what was a orphan care program becomes a skills development program, becomes a revenue generating program, becomes a community center that has its own trade schools, its own revenue, and it is able to provide care for the next generation of orphans or, or, or just community that, that needs help. So I don't know what more needs to be said about that, but I, I want to remind everyone that that's where we are now. 12 years in, everything we're talking about, it's not that we've forgotten school and forgotten food. It's that more and more the revenue has to be shifted out of school fees and out of into these community development programs so that there is a chance for these things to stand on their own feet one day. And we re that's why we've been focusing so much the last few years as well on the entire community. We want the, the community members to be able to provide for their own children. If we can increase yeah. the income at the household level, then they don't need extra help sending their children to school. As chicken become goats and goats become cows and cows become the capacity to have wealth ultimately. Yeah. 
So as we think about the five-year thing, you know, one of the questions we were asking as we were sitting under the mango trees, having all these business meetings with the staff and with the, what do we call them? The community leaders, the uh, leadership committee, leadership committees, Management at each, committee. that's right. Management committees at each site was okay, guys, we're, we're, let's be honest. We're, we need to get to be on our own two feet. Where are, what initiatives that we're working on have the greatest capacity to get us there? What are the things that we need to, if we're going to be fundraising again this Christmas, what is the most important stuff to be focusing on? And it was fun and challenging because you've got a group of people that would like, they would like fundraising for everything that's going on in their community. But now they're being challenged to go, okay, hold on. How do we allocate whatever these amazing sponsors are willing to provide for us. How do we allocate this in a, a very careful and diligent way to ensure that we're actually moving towards this goal? And so these are tough conversations to have, but they're important to have. So anyway, the, the answers to those questions, I don't know if you, you remember this, the resounding answer was? BSLA. So <clears throat> we've done a lot of things. These goats have been a big deal. These little in income generating projects have been a big deal, but nothing has provided more tangible progress. Forget the kids. The, in the kids, the sponsorship's been the thing. Yeah. School, trade school, the opportunity it's to like graduate. It's a steady base of the, increasing. There's no question that success. that's the biggest thing we've done. But other than that, these VSLAs have have bled into the communities in such an Im impactful way. So I don't want to re-explain what they are, but maybe we can talk about what's next for them because let's just take Ogloy for an example. Do you remember how many VSLAs we have just there? Ten. Ten separate groups. Each one is normally about 30 people. So you've got 30 people getting together every week. And every week, as, uh, they, they all have their own bylaws, but... Typically, there's a minimum amount of money you have to contribute to the pot every week. And when I say the pot, literally, guys, there's <laughs> a metal, uh, like big lunchbox, lockbox, lock and it has three separate padlocks on it. So three of the members are the treasurers, and they all have their separate keys. So no one can access the box unless all three of them bring their keys. So there's an accountability structure. There's measurements, so they're tracking contributions and every week they're contributing to the box. And then every week someone or some ones can take loans out and then they repay the loans with 10% monthly interest, which would be like illegal in this country. <laughs> it's, it's usury. But for them, this is access to revenue that they can use for all sorts of stuff. And the repayment rates are like 100% basically. Because these aren't, you're not taking a loan from a bank here. You're taking a loan from your neighbor from your own pot yeah and so if you don't repay it number one there's social accountability number two you're rubbing from yourself and and you've you, your money's in the pot too <laughs> so the repayments are amazing and these pots are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then at the end of the year they distribute all of it as dividends so every year the pot goes back to zero and then they start again but one of the things we've done that's effective is provide i don't know what you'd call them sponsorships or what do they call them they call it boosting funds yeah. so we've raised money over the years for the vsla groups that are performing really really well meaning we don't want to give money to a vsla group that just wants a handout but for the ones that are killing it we're raising additional money and then boosting 
their VSLA pot. So maybe we're adding a, I don't know, a thousand US dollars or something, which is massive amounts of funding. Yeah. And now they've got that extra money to circulate inside of their system to go do more things with repayment. And then the beautiful thing is the way we've got to set up is at the end of the year, that money is being redistributed to the care points for re-contribution the following year to whichever VSLAs deserved it then. And so I, I just couldn't be more excited about that because what we're seeing is these guys are using this money to go and just engage in ver- the fish ponds, for example, and very creative and successful initiatives. Now, not everything is successful, right? Right. But for the most part, what we've seen is really, really healthy stuff. And so when we ask the community, what can we focus on? Their answer is this. And so I'm excited to think about how we can raise more funding for this, but also get our sponsors involved in this. Because I think about it's not just the money, it's how do we get more training inside of the space? How do we teach them? Because what we've got right now, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm stealing the mic, but this is just an area of passion for me, right? Uh, You've got VSLA groups that aren't just loaning money to themselves now they've got so much excess that as a collective they're going out and buying a whole bunch of extra food storing the extra food in order to sell that food when the market's uh is strong in order to create additional business revenue for their pot mm-hmm. and that level of creativity was not available to this community 12 years ago well they were all just peasants working day and night toiling on their own land. They had no time to expand their brains to think, oh, I could do something more and definitely no funds. Well, when your stomach's empty, all you're thinking about <laughs> is your next meal. Yeah, so they've, they, I think that's a way people can help too is even having more ideas. You know, like they're trying to come up with new yeah. ideas. And Well, the biggest struggle we have when you say that, because I was hesitant to say that, I was thinking like we should, we should bring more people over that have special skills. Uh, if you haven't read read When Helping Hurts or Toxic yeah. Charity or any of those books, you should. You know, we are very, very sensitive to us jumping on a plane, going over to a place that's completely and utterly different than where we live and presuming to offer them insights into how they should do their farming or do their... I mean, they're coming up with stuff that we would never think to do. And the solutions that we might offer there are sometimes just absolutely broken and corrupt. I mean... We assume yeah. solutions that include electricity and we assume solutions that include supplies or water for, for that matter. Yeah. So yes, but the VSLAs are absolutely huge. And I think I'm just putting that out there. I'm, I'm putting that out that I know we need to focus on that next Yeah. as a, a, a boost to everything that we're doing there. Thoughts on that? And they've been, well, my thoughts is these have been around for years because we started boosting this, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. So it's something that is established. We know is running well. It's tried, so and, tried and It's true. a great thing yeah. to invest in that we know will be something the highest return on any money. I feel like I want to do a whole discussion on this one day because this was actually, what's the guy's name? I forget his name, but the guy that came up with this idea, it was called microfinancing initially. Yeah. He got a Nobel Peace Prize yeah, for it. It was the Nobel Peace Prize. And so... Again, we didn't come up with this idea. Hope no. Chest didn't come up with this idea. It is a, it's just a vehicle that's being used throughout Africa and much of the developing world, but it's not always successful. And what we're seeing is that with the right guidance and training and oversight, it, it is because the first rounds of these were not that successful. There was corruption and people didn't understand it. And yeah. 
Yeah. But where we're at now is these things are taking off. So VSLAs is on our mind for next steps inside of this five-year phase out. These income-generating initiatives is the other thing. So every year we're raising a lot of support for apiaries and the Citrus tailoring. orchard, yeah. yeah. So that's a big deal for us right now. And so I don't know if you've got more to say on that. I know we're working closely with Hope Chest on next initiatives, and we tend to do that every every Christmas. Yeah. I mean, I think also cur- right now the biggest need is actually education funds. Well, that's where I was going next. Yeah. Um, okay. No, I want to go there. But is there is there anything, any updates on, I mean, we talked about a lot of income generation that's going on. Anything else changing or tweaking or that we're thinking forward towards? I don't think so. I think right now they are working on expanding the, the current ones. Yeah, it's like okay, we've, we've spread out our whatever, our reach quite far and now we're trying to figure out which ones have the most return where's the best to invest which i'm glad they're thinking that way now yeah so okay so yeah why don't you move to the education thing because our biggest need is that not just because we aren't at 100 percent sponsorship but when these sponsorship levels are good when everyone was in primary school yeah but as people as these kids move to secondary school school fees are several times more and now we've got to cover like boarding for some of them because they can't possibly get to these schools. Yeah, and I think that's maybe something that we can talk about. People don't understand boarding. So if you think about these kids, first of all, they live, say if they lived with their families, that means every day they get up, they cook their food, they fetch the water, they have to do the washing, they have to make the fire. So there's there's no time for studying. So And then they have to walk, what, like an hour every day to get to and from school. At, and, at, at best. And no electricity, yeah. so they can't study past 6 o'clock at night. So it's really important for our students to be in boarding school so that they can focus on their studies, be where the schools are. And they actually have classes from like 5 a.m. till 10 p.m. It's, it's crazy. And on yeah. Saturdays. Like these kids work hard. and um, But there's no – the parents – struggle to send them to boarding and the $45 a month doesn't cover that. So we're really coming to the point where like either not able to send everyone that needs to to boarding or we need to start boosting some of those education funds. So technically, legally, people are not allowed to directly contribute to their kids to go to a specific school. There's rules about this, but we, we can have funding come into a general education fund that is allocated to these additional educational needs. And this is what we've done is we've gone to sponsors that have good relationships with their kids and said, hey, like your kid really needs uh, to go to boarding school. Is there any way you would contribute to the education fund? And so I think that's a huge need right now. It is. Um, Speak more to that. Um, Give us your money. (laughs) Yeah. I think like we've been trying to work with them. They're actually working on creating a list for me right now because there are multiple children who have these extra needs. And so in the next month, I'm probably going to be reaching out to a lot of sponsors. Hey, is there any way that just maybe just $20 a month, you could increase your sponsorship by that will allow them to have that opportunity to succeed. Um, Another thing in Uganda that people don't understand here is every, when you get to seventh grade and a senior, you have to take this big exam. So those are actually the most important grades. And we're finding that I just got told yesterday, like we really want every single one of our seventh graders, every single one of our seniors for sure living in boarding because these exams are so important. If you don't pass the national exam, which the students who are going to the best schools in the in the whole country are taking the same exam yeah. as these kids going to the not great Rural. village schools. Yeah. yeah. 
So it's important for them to get extra tutoring, extra education. Yeah, and a lot of them don't pass. I mean, it's not like it's not a given thing like yeah. it is here. These kids are routinely not passing these exams and then having to repeat that entire year again. Yeah. So if they don't pass that exam, yeah, they just, that's it. You go again, same yeah. grade. So education fund, I don't know, you want to get more specific? So 20 bucks a month is a big deal. This is on top of your sponsorship, presumably. But what if I'm not a sponsor, but I just want to, I can just give to that. You could give it one time. You could set up a $20 a month donation specifically to education fund. We have a link and it's like monthly, quarterly, one time. So that'd be, a, it is something that we would love to get a few more people being specific education sponsors. I believe we contribute to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, very cool. I, anything else? I mean, I, I wrote here agriculture. We, we had talked a little bit about, uh, I mean, really just continuing this process of learning and education. When I say education, it's not us teaching them about agriculture, but what we're learning about the, 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 the fish ponds and mm -hmm. uh, what we're learning, um, well, just even the tractor discussion and the land that we're acquiring again. So what we're figuring out is greenhouse is another example. These guys have been subsistence farming for a long time, and it's a big part of their communities. And we don't presume to know how to tell them to do it better, but there are experts in this region that are figuring out how to do it better. And so continuing to fund professionals coming in and providing guidance and expertise. And Yeah, well, one really cool thing is actually a friend of mine that we met a couple of years ago, the brother, a kid that we sponsored, just graduated in agriculture and he just sent me a little proposal he graduated yesterday he's like my desire is to now go back to my community and educate them because i know they don't have these opportunities so it's kind of fun to see okay some of our graduates are now going back and yeah. want to educate them like oh that's our biggest need perfect it's funny i'm maybe i'm a cynical american so often we talk to the kids and we're like, what do you want to do? And they're like, oh, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a whatever. And then we ask them why. And they say, so I can come back and help my community. And the cynic in me goes, yeah, okay, whatever. You just, <laughs> you just want the best job possible. <laughs> but what we're seeing is the extent to which when you grow up in a place like this and you're, you're as connected to your community as they are, it's not like us. Like I live in Ankeny, but do I care? I mean, right. not no. really, but when you live in a, a village like this, this is all your people. And, and it's not just all your people, it's your family lineage. I mean, these are clans. Yeah. And so their desire to come back and improve their regions and locations, it's, it's a real thing. And so I'm, I'm pumped to see how many of these kids are now injecting value into the communities that uh, helped raise them. Yeah, yeah, pretty fun. Okay, well, let's wrap this up. I, I'm just trying to think about specific calls to action. Um, obviously, you're you're the. Not everyone knows you, but you're available. Yep, call me anytime. Email, Facebook. Probably Facebook's the easiest way to find me. Yeah, well, if not, you know how to find me, and yeah. I can I can get you to Jen. Happy to sit with anyone as well, either of us, and explain more. Like if you've got an interest in learning more or um, just figuring out creative ways that maybe what you're passionate about, how how that could be connected to what we're doing. You're always available for that, as for am sure. I. Yep. I mean, our two, I guess, biggest current calls to action is we have 45 kids who are waiting for a sponsor right now. Yep. Um, we will put that link in the show notes. And we also have a huge need for education funds. So maybe you don't want to commit to a full $45, or maybe you're like, I don't really want to write a, a kid, but I want to help. So you could give $20 a month to education fund, even $10 a month, whatever fits in your budget. Or a one-time gift would yes, be... Yes, one-time gift. Maybe taxes are coming back. You get a great tax return. 
can give a thousand bucks. We will take your tax returns. Um, one thing we said we would come back to on is travel. One thing we would love every sponsor to come to travel, tra- come travel with us. But one thing we would like to focus on, if you're going to travel, we'd love you to sponsor a kid first. So that's a great first step. You're thinking about traveling, jump in, sponsor a kid. You'll have connections, start connecting with them, and then you get to go meet your kids. So that's a great way to start if you're thinking about traveling. Uh, I Yes, I agree. <laughs> and that used to be a, a mandate. Yeah. We have had people come who weren't sponsoring, but then invariably selected some kids and sponsored and they got to like meet the kids that they then chose. I don't want to get into the shifting model, but we can touch on it super quick because this whole picking kids thing is actually now changing and the whole sponsorship model is being turned on its head where like Hope Chef's current model is actually we don't profile all the kids. We profile all the sponsors and then have the kids pick a sponsor just as part of humanizing the experience more as well for them. But yeah. But if you want to if you want to sponsor ahead and travel with us or not, uh, we really need those sponsorships though. Yeah. Travel will be going again next January. Yep. Next January Joe will be leading the trip. So I think it'll be about the first two weeks of January. I think they're thinking maybe like January second through the fifteenth or something is what they're looking at. And uh, approximate costs. Around three thousand. Yeah. It's a flight plus in country costs. Everything's accounted for while you're there. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about what that looks like, we'd love to share it with you. So we, we do want people to come. We're not into what do we call it? Volunteerism. Yeah. We're not going to paint fences or build buildings. We're going to see the work that's being done and be a part of building the, the building these relationships and learning. So um I think this was fruitful. Yeah. Uh how do you think you did? I think I did better this time than last time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, some people told me listening to you share last time was one of their favorite things. Oh, that's great. Uh, one of their favorite podcasts. But uh, hey, um, this is, uh, I'm just reflecting. This has been a good journey. It has been. I mean, it's been a lot of work. Yeah. It's, it's hard to keep fundraising. Fundraising is not the most glamorous or easiest thing to do. But every time you go... You see the progress. You 100%. see the joy, like especially these graduations. I'm like, that's a lot of work to raise all that money for a graduation <laughs> tools, but to see the impact they make, I'm like, okay, it's all right. Well, and that's what's Keep kept going. us going, right? Yeah. Like every time we started to lose heart, you would then go again and be reminded. Yeah. And it's just so stark, the change. It's making an impact. Like every dollar that is donated truly is making an impact. Well, and, and until you meet these people and spend time with these, but not just the kids, the community, you, you cannot quantify or communicate the level of gratitude. The, yeah. These people literally wake up and think about their sponsors and cannot fathom why or how someone so far away would provide such a life-changing op- option, opportunity for them. Um, but I, I think we just take that for granted. It's it's a. I know that a lot of our sponsors sponsor a kid in a moment of weakness, <laughs> put their picture on the fridge, and then kind of just move on with their life. And I get it. I get it. We have busy lives, and and we don't need everyone to write their kids letters every week or anything like that. But for anyone out there that yeah uh, does take it for granted, just know that whoever you're sponsoring doesn't. It's yeah. a f- it's an unbelievable impact to their lives, and they wake up uh, struggling to fathom 
how you could be that generous. So. And you are what keeps them going. Like we've talked to some of these graduates. They're like, my, my sponsor is going out of their way to provide for me. So I will work hard and I will succeed because of what they've provided for me as a thank you. Like they're that the only way I can get back to my sponsor is by succeeding. Well, good stuff. I'm glad we did this. I am committing now publicly again (laughs) to doing a better job of keeping everybody in the loop. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe as we make more progress, like before next trip, for example, let's give some more routine updates to everyone on progress that's going on on the ground. Yeah. Now I have more in-country access. We have a meeting already on the schedule for May. So May I'll have more updates on all the progress from what's happened since then. Or since like Christmas time. Well, as the partnership relationships coordinator (laughs) and the master fundraiser um, and my wife, well done. Thanks for joining us today. All right. Thank you for joining us today. For more episodes, resources, and show notes, head to morethanmorepodcast.com.